fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the fruited plain and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Crowley. Tune in with you for episode 147, Friends in Low Places. I momentarily thought about trying to connect my phone to my podcast setup here to do a little intro with the song Friends in Low Places, but then I thought, man, there's probably some kind of copyright thing. And then, actually, not even then, I didn't think about singing it because if I attempted to sing that song, it would be the end of the Fab Lab podcast. But I think you're going to like this episode today, and it really is Friends in Low Places, but maybe not the way you think. For whatever reason, story came to mind, an experience that I had. Again, I guess this is like the second time I've mentioned 2012, which was the last year of the downturn for us. And like I mentioned in the last episode, kind of the, the, the exhaustion, the marathon with no finish line. 2012 had a really interesting experience that just proved the value of friendships and peers and um, just the support of your fellow fabricators. And so 2012 I got a call from a guy. He had owned a fab shop in, I think, Boise, Idaho, and and in the in the process of trying to survive the Great Recession down there, they'd had some things just went really squirrely. Wound up up in Seattle, kind of lost his fab shop, but he had this product that I was actually familiar with because we had entertained bringing this product online. It was called Forza Stone. It was a genius, brilliant idea. These super thin slabs are like three feet by five feet marble travertine. I can't remember if they had granite or not, but it had this aluminum panel on the back. They were really thin, like maybe stone was like three sixteenths of an inch. The the aluminum on the back was like an eighth of an inch. They were really light, so you could do showers and vertical applications just without all the challenges of like three cm or two cm. Called Forza Stone, and it was something I was familiar with. Well, this guy from Boise, but then Seattle calls me up and we had somehow met. I don't remember how we had met, but he was in a real bind. And again, 2012, I'm wore out. I'm exhausted. I'm basically angry every day. I think at that time my wife was telling me, you just, you got to get out of this. I mean, this just, you can't, you can't be like this all the time. Well, I wasn't in a position to get out of it at the time. Well, anyway, so this guy, he's got his, himself in a, in a real pickle. He'd moved all this material. He had just an enormous amount of these Forza stone slabs that he'd moved from Boise up to Seattle. Well, now this company that he had kind of partnered with, they were kicking him out. And he was he didn't have the space. He didn't have a rig. But he had all this material up there. And he calls me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just like you, man. I'm, my, my butt's in a sling. And uh, I'm like, I really don't have time to drive to Seattle. I, don't, I can't afford to send anybody up there. And anyway, I he convinced me. We had space in our shop. And I'm like, okay. I'll meet you up there in Seattle because this guy was basically the, the 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 shop, and it was kind of an interesting deal. It was a kind of contract shop, if you will. So you could pay, you could bring your slabs in there, have your slabs delivered, and they had a saw and place to polish. And so, if you didn't have like enough business to justify your own shop, you could go in there and cut your slabs, polish them, and then go install them. Well, that was the business model of the landlord, whoever owned the equipment in the building, but he didn't have room for this guy's slabs. And it's like, either you get these out of here or I'm putting them in a dumpster. So there's your choices. This guy was in a, he was in a panic. He was frantic. He was trying to get some way to salvage all that material. And so he calls me and I'm like, yeah, okay. And I'm not in much better of an attitude than this guy was. And so I drive to Seattle 
take the, the the slab trailer up there. We had a pretty sweet rig. We had a custom made trailer, double axle, ten thousand pound capacity, super awesome premium welded frame for doing slabs. Back when we, you know, when you had to go pick them up, you had to drive to the supplier, and uh, uh, and actually pick slabs up. We had somebody on the road all the time doing that. Anyway, so I was like, I'll drive up there and I'll pick these slabs up. So Seattle's like five hours away. I get up there, and I see I'm like. This is a lot of material, and this guy's really optimistic. He's kind of a he's kind of a mover and a shaker, and I'm kind of a more conservative guy. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. Anyway, so we start loading these slabs, these panels rather. They're not really slabs. These three foot by five foot, and we're putting them up on then, so they're like the five foot tall. You know, we're stacking as many of these things as we can get on my A frame that had a big two by twelve base on it. Now we've put so many slabs on there. They're like off the two by twelve and down on the deck of the trailer, like up against the wheel well, and I'm just getting increasingly nervous. I'm like, I, I'm not weighing these things, but I've been doing slab pickups for long enough to know this trailer's already overloaded, and I'm getting increasingly nervous. I'm telling this guy, look, I don't want to put. And he's like, well, I'm, I got more slabs or more panels. I'm like, hey, look, I'm getting nervous. I got, I'm the one who has to drive this stupid slab trailer back to Portland and then offload all of your slabs into my shop for this favor that I'm doing for you. I had zero financial interest in this whatsoever. It was just helping the brother out. But we keep putting slabs on there. And the more of these, not slabs, these panels, the more of these we put on, the more anxious I'm getting. So we finally, I'm like, that's I can't, no more. And I can't remember if we had them all or if I just cut them off. But I was, I was very, very nervous about pulling out of this kind of this yard if you will there were train tracks and it was really bumpy it's kind of a sketchy area anyway i get i put a bunch of straps every which way on this this odd you know load i don't know even how many probably 50 60 80 maybe it was 100 of these panels we had you know just completely stacked on my a-frame on the trailer and i remember getting into the truck and being like this could either not go well um, or this is not going to go well. But I was in such, this is just a little insight into where I was at at the time. Normally, I would have probably said a prayer. Uh, God, Lord, um, would you help me get these? I don't, I'm not feeling really good about this. Would you divinely protect the slabs, the truck, me, and get me home safe and sound? But at that state of the Great Recession, I was in such a, an angry state of mind about everything. I remember getting in the van and having this conscious thought. This, I guess is 10 years ago now, thinking, normally I would pray about this, but I'm so torqued off, I'm not going to pray about it. You know, so there, I guess, was my, was my attitude. And so with great apprehension, great anxiety, nervousness, it's like, well, truck's loaded. I got a five-hour drive to get home. Time to go. So I get in and I take off. And so far, so good. But I'm not on I-5 South very long coming out of downtown Seattle. I'm coming down this hill. I can still remember it. It was a beautiful day. I think it was in the fall. I'm coming down this hill. The the I-5 is kind of veering to the right. And I'm in the right-hand lane going as slow as I possibly can because I'm so nervous about this load that I've got on the trailer. And all of a sudden, that huge bang. And... That trailer starts, it's not jackknifing, but it starts violently going left to right. And before I tell you the rest of that story, I want to mention a word from our sponsor, No Lift Install System. Now, 
Speaking of pits in your stomach, anxiety, nervousness before your installers leave with that load of countertops on the trailer or in the bed of the pickup truck or in the box van. If you've ever had countertops go out the door where you were like, oh, I got a bad feeling about that. Oh, I hope they get those counters in without breaking them. Oh, that was fragile. Oh, that was quartzite. Oh, we got a new installer or a guy that really doesn't know what he's doing, but we don't have anybody else. And so I hope that they don't break those countertops putting them in. If you've ever had that thought, that sensation, that anxiety, I'd like to suggest the no-lift install system coupled with the counter handler by panel handler, the grabo suction cup, the battery powered grabo suction cup with the counter handler bridges and the aluminum rails. The combination of the no lift install system and the counter handler, a proprietary patented device for getting counter fragile countertops, I might add, into place. You, you cannot go wrong. You literally guarantee, you virtually eliminate. Any possibility of breaking a fragile countertop when you use the no lift with the counter handlers, undermount sinks with veins and fissures, super fragile material, inexperienced installers pretty much can't screw it up. Where they can screw it up if the lead goes one way and the the, the flunky, the newbie <laughs> who's out there process of elimination because you don't have anybody else to send out there, he goes the other way, kink, you know that sound, kink, when the sink snaps or separates and things fall apart with the no lift install system and the counter handler you virtually guarantee to get those fragile countertops installed without breaking them most crews break a couple of countertops a year just on average and then there are those really fragile ones where you in the back of your mind are wondering worrying hoping that that countertop gets installed and all day long you're anxious waiting for the word did we get the pieces in without breaking them oh no yeah but now we got to repair it now we got to penetrate it. Now we got to face polish it. Oh, man, those are terrible. You can eliminate that, virtually eliminate that scenario and the anxiety and give yourself some peace of mind that those countertops are going to get installed without risk, without breakage. With the no-lift install system and the counter handler, you can do it. So visit noliftsystem.com. Talk to one of the no-lift system pros about getting a no-lift and the counter handler package and um, transform your install department. The gravy, the benefit, just the, the bonus is that you can extend the careers of your installers at the same time. So visit noliftsystem.com. So now back to the story. Massive bang. I mean, not like a bang, bang, not a boom, but like just this, this just sharp and very loud bang. And all of a sudden, that trailer back behind me is swaying. I'm not going outside of the lane, but it is, it is, it is with great inertia, Left to right, Ben. I could feel the truck is, is, is being pulled a little bit. We didn't jackknife. And I remember thinking, oh, my. I'm not even five miles down I-5. Oh, my gosh. If the weight of those slabs popped one tire, it's a double axle trailer, there's no way I'm getting to this. I'm, I'm slowing this thing that's violently going back and forth. There's no way I'm going to be able to get this thing to the side of the road before that second tire pops with all that weight on it. And, and I'm imagining, and this is happening in like nanoseconds, as that, that trailer is yanking back and forth, left to right, swaying, all that momentum shifting. And I'm, I'm imagining in these nanoseconds, once that second tire pops in those drums, you know, those wheel drums, drop to the asphalt doing 55 miles an hour, these, this whole, I'm going over and all those slabs are going all over the freeway. 
And somehow, I think it's a miracle, somehow, it's, it's inconceivable to me that if the weight would pop one tire, why that second tire with all of that weight on there didn't pop. But somehow I managed to slow that thing down and get it off to the shoulder. And literally, the edge of the trailer, the wheel well, was like on the line of that shoulder so that that right-hand lane was just like right there. I somehow get that truck and trailer off the road, onto the shoulder, and I'm just like, what just happened? And I was so stunned and so shocked that I even made it off the freeway without that worst-case scenario happening. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Well, that wasn't the end of it by any means. What had happened when that back tire was the back tire on the trailer, when that back tire popped, whatever happened, or maybe maybe it wasn't even the weight that caused it to pop, but the tire failed. And, And I only realized this after going back there and seeing it. But the tire had come up and caught the steel wheel well, that diamond plate steel wheel well that dropped over the side, and it basically just peeled the tread off that tire. It going down the road, it caught and just whoo. So it flung the remains of that tire out into the middle lane of I five on this corner, or not? A, it wasn't a corner, but it was a curve. It curved to the right and went downhill. So then, what you had? I'm pulled off to the side of the road, you know, probably, I don't know, eighth of a mile down the road, but that tire's out there in the middle of the road, and cars are coming around, and they're seeing it, and they're swerving to the right, and they're swerving to the left, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to cause a wreck, because this huge chunk of this tire is out in the middle lane. Well, edge of the trailer is right on the side of the freeway, that right-hand lane, so people are like swerving into the right-hand lane, but then seeing me right on the shoulder and swerving, so I'm thinking, now I'm going to cause a massive pileup on I-5, and and I'm just I'm just frazzled. I'm absolute to this day, and it's interesting recounting this story now. It, it's 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 so vivid in my mind. I remember it, it was just a beautiful sunny day. I remember that sensation of like now I'm going to cause a wreck. Thankfully, it wasn't very long. I was so close to the shoulder, I couldn't even get out and 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 walk along the trailer. Thankfully, like I guess it was a wash dot in Oregon. They call them O dot, but it was a Department of Transportation rig shows up. Very shortly thereafter, with one of those big, like, tilting signs, like, you know, get over, and they park, you know, I don't know, 50 yards back down the road from me or up the road. And so traffic's kind of calming down, and one of them actually ran out and grabbed that chunk of tire and pulled it off the freeway. So that was cool. Then they pulled up behind me, and they proceeded to help me change that tire. But even then, with them behind me, the the the, the anxiety, I don't know how tow truck drivers do it, you know, standing there loading up a truck while traffic's just like flying by at 55 miles an hour like feet from them well that's what changing this tire i mean i was literally in the right hand lane of i-5 jacked the trailer up pulled the, the old rim off had a spare thankfully so anyway get the spare back on i'm literally a quarter of a mile i'm uh, actually i didn't even have to get back onto the freeway I'm, I'm right there within a quarter of a mile of an off-ramp and i'm so frazzled i'm so upset over what happened and it's just so thankful I think I was probably thankful at that point. I'm like, I'm not in a state of mind to get back in the truck. Number one, I don't have a spare now. (laughs) Um, And my plan was basically, I'm just going to pull off. There was an off ramp right there. There was a hotel and a gas station. And my, my plan was I'm getting a six pack at the gas station and I'm staying at the hotel. I am in no condition (laughs) to drive this truck four hours and 55 minutes back to Portland after that. So I, I pull off, thank the dudes from the Department of Transportation. I, I, I go down the shoulder. I take the exit. I pull off to the right into this parking lot of this gas station. And across the intersection, there's a hotel. I'm like, okay, this is perfect. I'm grabbing a six-pack. 
<laughs> I'm going to drink that in the hotel room, and then I will reassess things the next morning. You know, that was my game plan. And as I'm sitting there trying to collect myself, my phone rings. My friend, Pete Lane, owner of a fab shop in Greens, I think it's Greensboro, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Out of the blue. Now this, I don't have time in this story, in this episode, to go into the background of this relationship and how my relationship with Pete Lane, owner of Ivy Lane Countertops in North Carolina. But the timing of this call is unbelievable. So I answer the call. You know, it's, it's in the late afternoon, West Coast time. He's on the East Coast, so it had to have been late for him. And I'm just like, Pete, I don't remember everything that was said during that phone call, but I remember, you know, hey, you were on my mind. Just that I'd call you. I'm like, what, what are the odds? Literally, what, Pete, you have no idea what, what, like, literally, minutes ago just happened. I saw my life flash before my eyes with that trailer swerving all over the freeway, thinking that sucker's going to, you know, going to go over and, and, and I'm going to be killed along with everybody else on the freeway when those slabs explode. The timing of that call Number one, in and of itself, was like, is this coincidental? We have this conversation again that I don't remember necessarily the nature or, or what was said during the conversation, but I do know from all my other conversations with Pete, my friend, <laughs> him having a friend in low place. I was at a very, very, very low point, not just in that day, but I was in a low point in my career. I was at a low point in the business, just an abs- borderline probably despair and just, just utter discouragement, exhaustion, frustration, and anger. I just, I just lived in that state during that time. And that call from a fellow fabricator who got it, the timing of that call couldn't have been any more perfect. And I don't believe in coincidences. I absolutely believe it was divinely orchestrated that for whatever reason he had that thought. And he... Didn't just have the thought. Now, if it was me, it'd be like, oh, yeah, I have the thought. Yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. You know, it's 7 o'clock. <laughs> so I'll, I'll call him tomorrow. He called me, and the story just gets better from here. So he just encourages me. I don't remember, like I said, I don't remember what the nature of the call was. I don't remember what we talked about. But I remember getting done with that call just being, like, absolutely um, transformed in my attitude. My outlook was just, like, it changed everything. My view of circumstances were completely altered by him just checking in on me to see how things were going and and this very encouraging conversation that we have. I do recall that very vividly. But here's what's even wilder about this story. I'm still sitting there contemplating. I'm trying to make sense. How did this just happen? What are I mean the odds the it, it, it I don't believe in coincidence like that. It's just the 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 likelihood that that just was complete coincidence is is impossible for me to believe. And so I'm I'm sitting there still in the parking lot minutes after I get done talking to Pete, my phone rings again. It's another fabricator. This is a gentleman. His name is Carlos. I'm not going to mention his last name, but he had been my boss. I'd gone to work in a stone shop in high school. He moved up from Southern California. wasn't very long, and he was managing the shop and managing install. He'd been my supervisor. He'd trained me. I, I looked up to him big time. He, he, was, a, um, he was an icon, in my opinion. That's how I still look at him like that. And he had basically, after I left to start my company, within a year, he'd started with the sales guy from that company, and they started another company. He was brilliant. They sold that company, built it up in 06, and basically retired. But he'd had a turn of events in his life, in his career. 
So he calls me out of the blue. This is literally within a couple of minutes of hanging up with Pete. And now I'm like in this, like, how did that just happen? And now Carlos like, Carlos, I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And again, he had sold his company and retired, gone back to school, started another company, um, not in the stone industry, but things had not gone well for him. I answered this call. He's like, Aaron. Uh, he actually called me Aaron Sito. That was his nickname for me. He's like, I'm in LA and I, I, um, um, things have, things have not gone well. And I'm in, um, you know, I, I'm looking for work. And he was down in LA and he was literally just about to walk into an interview. So this has been at the end of the day, West Coast time. He was just literally outside this company. He was looking for work. So a guy of this caliber that had, that had been a, just an icon in my, in terms of the stone professional, the old school stone professional, then he'd built a business, sold it, retired, went back to school, got a degree, had another company. So, I mean, that's the state of things in 2012 in the stone industry. He's back. And here's the shocking thing. I was shocked by this. He asked if he could put me down as a reference. That was how bad things were in the stone industry in 2012 after five years of that just absolute collapse and just the destruction of the building industry and the stone industry that was affected by it. And, he, and he's asking, hey, Aaron, I'm, I'm going in for an interview. Can I put you down as a reference? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, of course. You know, I'm like, I, I, again, I still remember the sensation and the reaction of like, it seemed like such an odd place, like the roles were reversed. You know, in my, in my view, this this view I had of Carlos of just being this iconic figure in the stone industry, um, I'm like, I should be asking you to be a reference if, if I was even qualified for such a, a reference. And and here's the, the moral of the story, folks, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, whether this finds you in a low point or not, <laughs> the transfer of that friendship and and the power of encouragement that I had received from Pete when he called me just to see how I was doing, gave me some encouraging words. I get off of that call with him. I'm sitting there like, what was that? At the timing of that is just, it's like, how did that just happen? And I, my, my frame of mind had been changed. I was in a very different mindset at that point. And then I get this call from Carlos, who's similarly in a low place, just like I had been minutes before. Different circumstance, but but very similar in terms of the impact on one's character and one's view of circumstances and one's view of life and their profession and what am I doing? So the tr the transfer that took place because of the encouragement I had gotten from Pete on that call, I found myself in this just like bewildering situation to then be offering the same. Now, of course, I'm telling Carl, absolutely put me down. Absolutely. I'll do anything for you. I would do anything including being a reference for you. Have him call me, please. I don't think they ever did. I think he got the job probably just on his own his own resume. They probably hired him on the spot. But I was able, and this is, this is, this is wild. I'll just admit this. He had been through so much, and I felt like at that point I was so low. The fatigue, the frustration, just the, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. I don't see the finish line. That was that just state of absolute and total weariness and exhaustion. Yet, my spirits had been completely altered by that encouraging call from my friend Pete. And I was able to then convey that same encouragement, that same hopefulness, that same, you know, friendship and camaraderie and, and, and just speaking kind words of, you know, you're, we're going to get through this. Carlos and I, two grown men, two stone professionals, 
We both started bawling on the phone. When I start telling them, I'm like, dude, you don't, you're not going to believe I just got this call from my buddy Pete. You would also not believe I just about wrecked the truck because the wheel popped. Trailer's going all over the place. I thought I was going over. And then my buddy Pete calls like two minutes after. I get, and then you call. I'm like, dude, this is this was meant to be. And we both start, we both start crying <laughs> on the phone right there. Anyway, I decide not to get a six-pack, get hammered, and spend the night in that hotel. The experience of being encouraged and then turning around and being able to encourage somebody else who was in the same place that I was, but to have something to encourage them with was so profound that I, it just, it was like my whole outlook on everything changed. I was able to get online on my phone. I found a Les Schwab just down the road. They had a spare tire. I was like, okay, I had minimal time. I raced down there. I get a spare and I make the four and a half or five hour drive to Portland and I get home safe. Somehow I get home without another tire popping on that trailer. So my point, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, ladies and gentlemen, there, there's two morals to this story. Number one, we need peers. We need friends. We need people who understand the situation that we are in. And we need to be that person. Those are the two things. We need it, and, and people need it from us. And so what I want to say to you is be encouraged. <laughs> no matter where this finds you, you finds you one of two places. You may be on top of the world right now. Awesome. But you may know somebody who's not on top of the world. And you may be the only person that understands what they're going through. And you may be the person they need to hear from most. And the power of that encouragement, if you are willing to be like my buddy Pete, <laughs> who I aspire to be like, to reach out to somebody and, and just encourage them. Pat him on the back. Well, it's, it's interesting. My buddy Pete has this. He has this phrase. If you're familiar with uh, the New Testament, there's a story there where Jesus's disciples this is in the Bible. There's a guy that's sick. They can't heal him, and Jesus is healing people, and they can't get in. There's so many people there who want to be healed that they can't get to him. And so these four guys they put their 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 disabled buddy on a mat, and they each take a corner and they climb with him up onto the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down so that he can be healed. Now. Pete and I share the same faith, and I'm kind of sharing that with you in the sense that Pete likes to say, hey, you know what? We all take our turn on the mat. And I think what he means by that is at some point, we all find ourselves in a place where we can't continue without somebody else's help. We're done. We can't get there on our own. And so this this dynamic that occurs, and I think in particular among business owners, and I'll say in, in light of the story that I'm telling you, in particular, in particular, within our industry, the stone industry, and the unique challenges, and the unique amount of stress, that just the absolute extreme strain that we can experience as owners in this business, sometimes we're the one at the low point, and we need somebody else to come and pick up the mat and get us there. And, and it may be as simple as just a call with an encouraging word and a reminder, dude, you're going to get through this. You're going to make it, and I'm here for you. Sometimes that's all it takes, and that's probably the nature of what Pete was telling me on the phone. And that's basically what I told Carlos. And guess what? In both cases, it worked out. Those words of encouragement were proven to be true. And, and as simple as they sound, the impact that they had was just profound. 
on the person, the, the, the person in that low place at the moment. And so we also had to be willing to pick up a corner of the mat. We also got to be willing to pick up the phone, to reach out and to, to encourage people. And so no matter where you're at, if you're in that low place, let this be an encouragement to you. Um, I hope somebody picks up the phone and calls you. Um, and if you're not, but you know somebody that is, may you hear the tremendous influence that you can and will have if you pick up the phone and call them and encourage them. Offer them a hand. Just offer them. You don't, it doesn't have to be any. You don't even give them advice. Tell them you believe in them. Become a sounding board. Man, I may not have anything very often in my coaching. It's like, I don't know what you should do, but I'll let, tell me what's going on. And just the process of being able to verbalize what's going on very often. I, no coaching is necessary. The the answers materialize as the person in that situation is able to process it and verbalize it and work through it and, and contemplate it and, 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 and hear themselves say the things that they're thinking oftentimes is enough to like make the difference. And so you may not have to be a brilliant, you know, um, psychiatrist. You just need to be a friend and you need to be willing to pick up the phone. And that's what's got me thinking. Who needs to hear from me? There may be somebody out there who really, really needs to hear from us. And we have that opportunity to have a profoundly positive impact on those folks. And so, fellow fabricator, I am so glad that you tuned into this. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I'm, I'm, uh, I won't say I'm emotional, but I'm feeling this podcast in a very interesting way. Even though it's ten years on, this story was this happened ten years ago. It's 2012. I'm feeling it. it, it it's real, and I hope that uh, it's been an encouragement to you. And I, whether you find yourself like, just, hey, yes, you're right. It's a good reminder. I know somebody that needs to hear from me. I know somebody that, who could use a word of encouragement. I know somebody who, who, who needs to vent. And maybe that's all you do. And it may, you may be on the other side of this. And I'll just mention this as well. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, that's why I do the coaching that I do. And that's why I offer a 90-minute complimentary coaching session. So if you find yourself in one of those positions, that place where it's like, hey, no one's calling. I haven't heard from anybody, but I've got to decompress. I've got to vent. I've got to get some of this stuff. I got to process what's going on, the stress, the unrelenting strain of the last few years of COVID, and then just the boom, the lack of labor, the strain on fighting, just all of that stuff, fellow fabricator. If you need somebody to listen to you, <laughs> go to AaronCrowley.com, go to the Work With Me page, fill out the form. I'll, I'll be that person. If that's what you need, it'd be my pleasure. It'd be my honor. And so, fellow fabricator, I am so glad that you tuned in. Make sure that you tune in to the next episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. I got a whole new series coming down the pike. It's, uh, it's intense. It's intense, and it's important if you have employees handling slabs, handling countertops, out on install, um, the subject of safety. Um, if you got people making dust, breathing silica, Man, this is a, this is one of those really uncomfortable topics that I would really rather avoid because even though I'm out of the business, it still makes me uncomfortable. But man, it's something we got to deal with. It's something we got to focus on. It's something we got to be reminded of. So make sure you tune in next week to the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. It's going to be good stuff. And in the meantime, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, happy fabricating. <laughs>